Welcome to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. On this episode, I speak with Taylor Rice and Kelsey Iyer from the band Local Natives. Local Natives is an indie rock band based in Silver Lake, Los Angeles, and I've been following them since their debut album, Gorilla Manor, which came out all the way back in 2009. They are now releasing their fifth album, Time Will Wait For No One, today on July 7th. And I got to have a really great conversation with them about making the record, about being new parents, about being a wedding band. Uh, We talked about comedy podcasts. I was also introduced to the concept of pickleball, which I have now played since recording the interview. That's about all I have to say, other than I know there has been a substantial gap since the US Girls episode. I apologize for that. I do this all in my spare time, and sometimes I just don't have enough of it. Um, But there are a couple of episodes that I've already recorded with Buck Meek and Romy, so you can expect those in the coming weeks. And I'm aiming to talk to some more artists about upcoming releases, so hopefully... I will keep some momentum. Okay, let's dive in. I appreciate you both coming on. I really love the the new record. Time will wait for no one, and I'm excited to talk to you about it. You you've said that it was made during a time of metamorphosis for you. Can you start by talking a little bit about what was going on in your lives during the writing of this album, and like set the scene a little bit? And also, how does the title relate to the themes of the record? Do you think? Yeah, I I think I think it's pretty relatable to what so many people were going through, but then this is like our our own like personal kind of how it affected us and like our our whole like world is that like me and Taylor and Ryan have been making music since 2004 and trying to get a band to happen and in like when local native started in 2008, 2010, cause we were a band before in high school. Um, that's when like, it really started kind of popping off for us. And we were basically, I've been like hanging out with Taylor. What's up Taylor. Um, for what up? <laughs> what's up, um, for, Oh my God, like almost 20 years straight. Um, but like when the pandemic hit, like, yeah, we had not, we'd not been apart for longer than like a week or something for, yeah, like 14 years or something like me and him and the rest of the band, like um, Ryan and Nick and Matt. And I think when that happened, it just, it like di- totally disrupted and destroyed any plans we had. We were supposed to go on tour with Foles. It was supposed to be like a co-headline tour, like our biggest tour up to that date. And that was canceled. And then we were hoping to start working on a new record and got delayed like a year because we didn't know if it was safe to be together. Um, Yeah, like we were trying to start a new record, writing a new record. But how we write is we are very collaborative and we're always like together in a room. And that didn't seem possible. So there was kind of like a, like a year, year and a half of just feeling untethered and just feeling like totally separated from each other, which I think threw us all into our own kind of, I don't know, spirals of, of whatever was 
happening in our own personal lives. Um, my wife and I were trying to have kids and, uh, we, by the time we started getting into this, this record, um, we had just experienced our second miscarriage. Um, this one being like at 17 weeks, which the doctors called an anomaly, because uh, a, a lot of people experience miscarriages about 20 to 30%, but that's at about like seven weeks, eight weeks. Uh, so, so these, so these two were like really devastating and I was just at a all time, all time low and an all time, like, I don't know what's going on or how to handle anything. Um, and kind of almost imploded, uh, the band and wasn't sure if I could continue. Um, and that was kind of all around this, uh, we played this Greek show, this show at the Greek theater here in Los Angeles, this big like open air amphitheater. Um, and the show was sold out and it was like this ginormous highlight for our, for our entire career. And it was like right in that moment that I, I don't know, I think we all were unsure what the future was going to be because of, because of me and because of, um, just being unsure, like how to, how to handle something that was so heavy and devastating that I don't think anyone, we had any experience handling before. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. So, I mean, I guess that was, yeah, thank you, Sam. Yeah, no, but I mean that, that kind of like, that was kind of the background for, or, or the stage that was set up for, for the band to make this record. And, and then, you know, I spoke even more, even more personally for where I was making this record. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, for all of us, it was, it was a, a similar sense of um, just disorientation. Yeah. So totally just as Kelsey was saying, I think probably everybody had this experience in their lives of, of you're on like some sort of just normal life treadmill and the whole world shut down. And, um, where I was right when that happened is I was the first one in the band to become a father and I had like a three month old son. So I was like very new into fatherhood and then we we're kind of, you know, thrust into isolation and being separate from my bandmates and making music and, and touring and all that. And so, yeah, just similarly, I think like as individuals, like for me, it was also like a very difficult time to be so isolated and to be a new family and a new father. And, um, yeah, I just remember like, you know, like Ryan and Kelsey being like, man, I haven't heard from Taylor in like months, like what's going on with him. And I think I was in my own kind of black hole really with it. So, and then, you know, Kelsey's going through what he's going through. Um, you know, everybody sort of had that and it just, it just kind of made us like, you know, spiral out in, in all of our own ways. And yeah, so that, that's basically like, you know, the backdrop for us. It's like, you know, as Kelsey said, just kids who have been living their dream and making music together forever and now entering this new phase of life and kind of hitting this crazy moment. Um, that was like the beginning part. And I think, um, you know, it's just not something that can be wrapped up like quickly because the, basically the making of this record took took years. Um, there was like the whole year 
of what we're basically talking about leading up to us even starting. And then it was basically another like year and a half plus process of making the record. But basically like what ended up happening is we started getting together in our backyards, like very slowly working on music and, um, that started what would end up being like a very long sort of like healing process for us as individuals and as a band. And I think like looking back now, what's interesting is like those early, the way that these songs started being these little tiny like seeds of songs that we would play acoustic in the backyard. That's kind of how we made like the first local natives record. Cause we all lived together at that time and that was 24 seven like we would just wake up and be like check this out on acoustic guitar and on the piano in the living room and just there was like in looking back that was kind of how we would just wake up and play acoustic guitar and piano in the living room back when we were making our first record as local natives because we lived together and um so it was sort of like a mirrored image of how these songs started and I think just to tie into like the name of the record and why we named the album Time Will Wait For No One is we started to realize like a lot of these themes and what we were going through is that like everything and everybody is changing all the time. Like anything that you kind of think in your life um, that might be sort of, you know, this stable, this like rock solid thing, it's just it it changes and shifts. And I think through this record, we were able to kind of really refine um, what is really special about our bond and our, our kind of family bond and our musical bond as well. And so that was in our personal lives, that was in our band life, just kind of like everything. And, and I think that that title and the intro song kind of really captured the, the spirit of what we were going through. I I wonder what the writing process like was like for that because if you guys were seeing each other a lot like uh, like you said you were seeing each other like all the time before COVID I know that you guys have three songwriters Ryan as well how do you manage that between you and how did that kind of change over the lockdown period what were the differences in your methods of songwriting do you ever clash over that? I think it's in, it's an interesting question because th there's like a lot of ways that the pandemic kind of forced us to try to change how we wrote music together and that failed because uh, cause like it would be like us trying to, hey, can you just record like a demo and we'll send it around like postal service style where it's like I, I'll send send you a beat and you send me and you write something on top of it and uh, turns out we aren't good at that. Uh, and it really, uh, it really led to some, some it's stuff that didn't make sense. how everybody else makes music. It's like literally how basically everybody that I know makes music. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 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 and, and I think it's just because we've just done something a certain way forever and it just immediately felt like this is just not working. So, so we ended up having to wait until we felt like we could get together out, like outside in the, Taylor's backyard to to just work on stuff just from the ground up um and I guess it kind of it kind of forced us to kind of go back to how we used to do things since the very beginning which I think we all ended up being really thankful for I, I mean this the story that we're telling 
that we're that we're talking about basically is is it being pretty bad in the beginning but re kind of finding our footing and how we used to write songs it led to one of the most prolific times that we have ever had writing songs for a record i think we've got like about 20 to 25 songs that you know not everything's on this record but there's going to be more even more new music coming like much sooner than than normal for us oh that's really exciting once you'd written these songs together well so when you go into the studio for at least for the past uh well almost every album has had a different producer um because gorilla manor had well you guys produced it yourself right or with raymond richards since then, you've worked with Aaron Dessner of The National and uh, uh, Sean Everett. Is that right? Sean Everett, um, who produced Casey Musgraves and The War on Drugs. And now John Congleton, who's worked with Angel Olsen and Death Cab and St. Vincent. So how does your approach to, to choosing a like a producer, like why is that? And, and kind of what is this restlessness with producers and uh, what did John bring that the other, the other guys didn't? <laughs> um, I think the reason we have a new producer every time is because um, the experience of working with local natives destroys a producer and they'll never work with us again. Um, <laughs> uh I don't think that's um, necessarily a hundred percent true, but um, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Like I think we're just for us, like we're always interested in, in like a new approach and part of it is just kind of riding a wave and like kind of what comes along. So with John, we had, um, we'd just done this collaboration with Sharon Van Etten on a song called lemon for like an EP that we had put out. Um, I think it was like 2020 or something. And she had just made a record with John and that record's incredible. I don't know if you know that album. John had made this record uh, with her and it was incredible. We just worked with her. So it kind of just, you know, he'd been on our radar forever because he, he's an incredible producer and has worked with so many artists that we love, but it was really, you know, just like thinking about producers and loving that record that had just come out that made us kind of reach out to John and, and decide to work with him. Uh, and yeah, working with him was interesting. I, I will say like all producers are so different from each other. Like at least the ones we have worked with are, are like not similar people. Their processes are not similar. Like they're wildly different. And, um, John is, is really interesting. Um, he's a little bit like, he's a little bit like drier and to the point as a producer than like say Sean, who we just worked with, who you have to think about as like a mad scientist who's like insane and doing 10,000 ideas at once. And it was like hyper maximalist and John's almost the opposite. It's like kind of, what are we doing? Let's find the thing and let's just drive at that. And then if it doesn't work, let's just throw it out and start over. <laughs> it's just like, um, very direct and to the point, but there's something so like refining and kind of beautiful about that. It's like, we need to like catch our groove and commit to it. And, um, I think it was like an adjustment 
um, just because of the period we were coming out of uh, to start working with him and adjusting to that. But uh, he's a fantastic producer. He also mixed a lot of the record and his mixing skills are incredible. And then one more thing I'll just say about him that was unique to John is like, without talking to us, like we'll talk about the song and we'll create something uh, together for like the vibe and the basics, but then he'll throw in the Congleton like atmosphere and he won't mention it. And then we'll just be like, what's happening there? Like, what is that missed throughout this song going on right now? And he's like, oh yeah, he's kind of coy about it. He's like, yeah, just something I put up there. Like he won't tell us what's like what he's doing. Well, and um, yeah. sometimes we'd be like, we don't want that mist there. But often it would be like, that's sick. Like, that's amazing. So he just kind of like curate and vibe set sonically in that way, which was really interesting. We hadn't had that experience before. Yeah. The soup. He, he'd have like, uh, he'd have like six. The soup. Yeah, he'd have like six guitar pedals running through like a verb that was running through a thing. And, and, and I remember specifically on like paper lanterns, uh, that he had this like little fog soup thing going on that I loved so much. And, uh, that was, I, I love like when, you know, a producer can come in and just like, just try, just try stuff. And, and like, it's always a conversation and you're always like, you know, into certain things, not into other things, but like, you know, so, so many of our records have been touched in these beneficial ways by these, by these producers. And, uh, and I, and, and it's, and it's funny, um, that maybe from the outside, it looks like, um, no producer can please us and we have to keep moving <laughs> from producer to producer, but it's, it's like, it's a weird thing when when you have five, we already have five cooks in the kitchen and five producers per se, like every record we do. And so it's just, it's all about timing. It's like people's schedules and like, it's, it's, it, we find it really refreshing and fun and we find the need to get new blood into the mix. Cause we're just excited to see like what, how it will change the the sound or how it will change something. Cause, cause we are the constants. We're always there. Um, and we are, we are opinionated baby. We, uh, we have thoughts, and, uh, you know, I'm sure it can be a lot for a producer to work with a band like us. And there's, I don't think there's many kind of bands out there anymore that have so many such like kind of an equal, um, every, every member has an equal voice. Um, I feel like we're kind of dinosaurs in that way. Uh, but I feel like bringing in these new people and ends up democracy, keeping, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It keeps things fresh and, uh, you know, democracy needs freshness, you know, <laughs> not <laughs> let's too, make this political. Yeah. Let's make this political. Let's, let's talk about the real <laughs> thing everyone wants to talk about. <laughs> Well, it, I mean, you've written some some songs that I I didn't believe that local natives would ever write on this uh, record. I mean, the, well, the single NYE stands out as like an outlier on the album and something that you've never done. And the story goes that you were inspired to write after you covered The Strokes someday at Ryan's wedding. And I have multiple questions about that. I, 
first of all, talk about, let's talk a little about NYE as a song and whether that's the direction the band might take further in the future. But secondly, um, what else is on that wedding playlist? And uh, what's the greatest wedding song? <laughs> I feel like, um, so this happened a couple of times. Kelsey has like a higher register voice than I do. And so when we're splitting up the wedding songs, um, I feel like often he gets a little bit screwed and then I get like, um, I get the awesome <laughs> songs. So like I got to sing, um, like the stroke song and we did, we did an Oasis song. Ryan is a huge Oasis fan. He always has been. So we, we played, um, don't look back in anger. Just like so amazing. It was so fun. Um, oh, and we actually had, um, we had Jonathan Wilson, who's, an incredible producer and guitar player. Uh, his father, John Misty and Angel Olsen, a bunch of other people. And he did the solo for that song and just like ripped it up. It was so amazing. So I got to like do these fun songs. And then Kelsey is like, has the Bee Gees. He's got to sing like Bee Gees tune. <laughs> um, Jackson five, you had to do at a previous wedding. Like he just gets the yeah. most like, it's unfairly yeah, like back. high uh, vocals. It's a cruel <laughs> ask. Um, the Jackson Five one was uh, oh man. Um, it might it might 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 have been I want you back. Um, as I'm trying to remember the words. Um, but yeah, that was uh, we're not good enough musicians to to uh, actually like take the key down. Like we don't uh, we it's it seems like we're good, but we're not. Well, like, I don't think so we have great. enough uh, rehearsal time. That's also that probably true. would have been a great idea. Yeah, I feel like we could take the key down. B Gees B Gees <laughs> was rough. Uh, Nick Nick had me Nick had me sing a Mary J Blige song and that like Oh, I forgot these, about that one. These wedding asks are so uh so <laughs> insane. Uh I did get to sing Valerie at Taylor's wedding and that was like one of my favorite oh, ones yeah. cuz that one That's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, I you felt, crushed that. I felt good. Felt really good about that one. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, these are <laughs> They're, they they create a very fun environment of like whoever's getting married to be able to see their, their band members who they never see on stage because we're always together and they get to actually see them do their thing. And uh, the reports are always uh, are always good. And whoever is getting married is like, oh, you guys are really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That feels great. That's right. Yeah. So. So NYE, uh, so, so Ryan was witnessing like, it, like kind of to jump off from the point I just made, he's like watching us do this stroke song and then was like, oh, wow, I would love to see us do like a faster song. And so NYE was this kind of last minute pitch of a song that he demoed out himself. And uh, it was one of the last ones we we worked on and we were all like, you know, this is not something we normally do but i think it kind of played to um like like pulling on our Your heartstrings to for... just play bass well, yeah. and have fun yeah yeah i did i i played bass on the stroke song and i did have a lot of fun and i was like i want to play bass uh but like i feel like we all grew up on like a bit harder like i don't know uh emo hardcore like music in like high school so i think it kind of played it played to us like uh, like a little bit of reminiscing of like a just like a a faster more abrasive sound um 
but yeah, he just kind of threw that out there and we got in the studio and, and played it mostly live and it really worked out. We were very, all pleasantly surprised. But, but I also think there's a broader point, like to you saying it's like a song local natives, I wouldn't imagine local natives doing. And I think like in the context of the album and what we were going through and stuff, there was like some ego death basically and us kind of being much and being freer and more willing to just sort of like break out of the ruts and rolls and like so hyper opinionated and controlling of how we felt that everything needed to go. I, I do think there was a very conscious effort on our part to be freer in that way and like expand and I remember Ryan, so like that song, MIE is a song that Kelsey, I feel like in the past would be like, no, or at least that's what Ryan <laughs> thought. And that's what I thought as well. And I think, um, cause like Kelsey wants to be super sad. He wants to be super dark all the time. He doesn't want to have that much fun. And like, um, and I think it was just a new moment and. I do think the wedding did have something to do with it, but also I think there was the broader like atmosphere of everybody being more open. And Kelsey was like, yeah, this is super fun. Can I play bass then? You know, and we're like, all right, yeah, sure. Um, I can, I can be surprised. Yeah, so just, you can throw out some surprises. Yeah. We, we, still we were surprised. My old age. We were surprised that you were down for it. And it was just like the super fun three minute fast, you know, song that, you know, there's still a little depth in it for sure, but it's like it's like a much more fun song for local natives that than uh, I think it previously we would have allowed. You're going on tour in August, right? Yeah, yeah. So that August tour will really be the you know the album comes out in July, so so that that'll be the first tour that we're playing a lot of these songs for the first time. Are you continuing to enjoy touring or? Is it harder personally now that you're both like you're both parents? We haven't toured much still. So we did like a month last year, maybe a little bit more. And then, you know, this year so far, we've just kind of had some like festivals and little things like that. So this will be the first time this this will be. So Kelsey's first tour as a parent, and it'll be kind of like my second and you know, what, what I would say is like local natives used to tour at one point, 10 months out of the year, and then at another point, six months. And, and so, you know, we're, we're not doing that anymore. Um, so I, I think, I think touring how we used to would be impossible. Um, that doesn't feel possible. Um, but some touring has felt great. You know, it's, I'll just say for me, like, being able to reconnect to everything that comes with the tour, which is like the the biggest driver for me. And I think for us really are the shows. And a lot of people just hate touring in general. I think we've always kind of loved touring more than most. And for me, the main driver of that is really that like hour and a half, two hours on stage where you're like in communion, you know, it's basically like, uh, a spiritual experience <laughs> where you have like a big group of people all together in one space experiencing something. It's just really incredible. Really love it. 
So, um, yeah, I'm excited to tour again. I, I think like there, there will be a real adjustment period, um, for, for us. But as I said, we're, we're kind of taking breaks and, and doing it in chunks. So hopefully that part of it will, uh, will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, Kelsey, how are you, how are you feeling about tour? Well, are you nervous? Never, are you pumped? I'd never known, um, having a kid and being on the road and Nick and Taylor both had kids, um, in back in August when we did, um, our fifth, our first big kind of like us tour after we uh, couldn't anymore because of the pandemic. But, um, yeah, I just, I just had a, a kid with my wife in February, uh, which we're so, so stoked on. And I actually, I have this solo side project called Jaws of Love and I just did like a small West coast tour. So I got to experience like a small, like, uh, uh, um, window into what it will be like, uh, which I feel pretty grateful for. It's like good, like training to, to figure out how it's going to be, uh, for this next big local natives run. And I, I've got Nick and Taylor to give me some advice. Uh, Taylor, it, it went like Taylor and then like Nick and then me. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm always asking them what's, what should I do? <laughs> how do i do it there's a small there's a small child in my house what do i do with it what do i say to him (laughs) i don't know what to say to him you're always asking me i don't know what to tell him it keeps looking at me (laughs) like i'm supposed to do something what does he want (laughs) what does he want from me taylor you're always asking me yeah oh yeah (laughs) but it's it's nice it's nice that like that we are all starting to have kids. So we're all starting to prioritize time off and prioritize like our schedules and in a way that I think is, is just good and healthy for, you know, growing up and becoming, you know, more of a responsible adult on the planet. Um, Cause for a long time we weren't like that at all. And uh, I could definitely find some, find you some times that that, didn't feel so great, like not being able to plan anything ever. Um, but, but this is, uh, I think after the pandemic starting to have kids, like it really, it really helped in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and also we toured so much that I think, I think personally, I, I started kind of taking it for granted that we could go anywhere at any time and play in front of a bunch of people and like have this experience. Um, and being in the, in the position of, of not being able to do it, of the whole world telling you, you cannot do your job and what you're kind of meant to be doing on this earth. You can't do that right now. It's really made us all like, I think, appreciate I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I definitely made me appreciate touring oh, like, yeah. so much no, more. For sure. I, I, I mean, I think that, everybody that, felt that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That last tour in August, I think e- even though it presented so many um, challenges that we'd never had before, there was like a, a small bus fire. Uh, there was a, what? We, there you was a bus shortage. The bus sound fire uh there the, some... the, there's a good like build up to it in that um ryan who's not here to defend himself but I, I, so i won't lay into her but he's like very sense he's a very sensitive guy 
And he was like, there's something going on with this bus. I'm waking up. I'm feeling uh, my eyes are swollen when I wake up. I smell the fumes. And everybody was like, all right, right. Like, you know, I think it's just allergies, man, or whatever. And then cut to the bus literally caught on fire on a day. Um, I had actually flown home that day. I wasn't there. Were you there? On the bus, me, me and Taylor both flew home early. Yeah, we weren't it was, there. It was right before Outside Lands in San Francisco, and and Matt. That's right. Matt tells the story of the best. They basically, like, were going, and then they they had just stopped at their hotel, and there was this construction crew across the street with like water and stuff. And they walk out and our tour manager sees in the wheel well, some like brake fluid was kind of leaking and it sparked with these chains and the wheel well was on fire. And the tour manager runs on and she's like, everyone off the bus, everyone off the bus, bus is on fire, bus is on fire. So so everyone's got to go. And then this construction crew saw that this- Who happened to be right next to it. Yeah. (laughs) Put it out. Yeah. And, but so then the thing about that was, if the wheel had caught on fire, apparently once the rubber catches on fire, you really cannot put it out. It's not, it's like basically impossible without like, you know, um, it has to just burn off. And the bus had just driven overnight through the mountain pass. So like it could have really been very bad. It could have been so, 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 so bad. Not for Kelsey and I, but for the rest of them. <laughs> oh, oh man. You know, we, uh, we don't we so don't fly away very harrowing. often, but uh uh that we almost escaped. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I, if you're interviewing a lot of bands, I'd be surprised if you didn't have a lot of stories like this because what happened in the pandemic is that these buses all sat for 2 years and apparently that caused a huge percentage of them I forget what it was. It was technical and explained to me. And so a lot of the buses broke down because of sitting. There's some issue with that. So about 30% of all buses nationwide were broken and then everybody is on tour. So there was a massive nationwide bus shortage. A lot of artists couldn't get buses. Um, and it was just like a total disaster. And I actually kind of think it's continuing. I still think there's a bus shortage even right now. Um, so we, so our bus catching on fire, we couldn't get a replacement bus. We had to like get a van and do some van drives for about a week until we got one. So I, I forgot all that's like flooding back. Um, but even though, so like that tour was sort of miserable from a logistics standpoint, we were like so grateful to be playing these shows. Um, and that felt really amazing. This has been a blast. Um, I'm going to ask you the final question. Uh, since you're in the space between the notes, the final question is always the same. It's a multiple choice question. <clears throat> the question is, uh, apart from music, what is the most fun thing? Is it A, sports, B, books, C, food, D, movies, E, extreme sports, F, Traveling, G, gaming, H, backgammon, or I, other. 
<laughs> and if and if you uh, say other, I can't believe you gave an other after that. All well, that. if you That's say amazing. other, Wait, it gets you... added to the list. Oh, oh, amazing! I see. Can can see. you can you pick more than one? No. How? Why would you be able to pick more than one? Sometimes people go through them all. T- Taylor's Taylor yeah. is all about the rules. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Kelsey, there's an internal logic. Uh, no, okay, it sounds like Sam's more open than I am about how you're going to answer. <laughs> it's not even your I'm game, go, Taylor. <laughs> it's not even my game, but I'm creating internal logic. Okay, maybe this will be why my answer. Uh, I'm going to go with A, because the question is the most fun, right? The most fun thing. I'm going to go with A. My friends and I talk about this all the time. So uh, that, like... As adults, it's hard to have a lot of play in your life. And I think we're really lucky as musicians. So we get play in creating music together and in performing. That feels like play. Um, So there's some built in. But it's hard to like have play in your life. And I think sports is is one way that it's just like total play. Everything else is gone. You're completely present. You're in a game and you're having fun. And, um, I know that this is going to be like really cool and you're going to think I'm really cool. Uh, but Ryan and I have been playing pickleball, uh, very consistently for about a year and a half. I don't even know what pickleball is. What's pickleball? No, I don't know what it is. Wow. Teach, okay, teach the so world, pickleball, Teach them. So pickleball is, um, it's the number one fastest growing sport in the U S it's not really going off in Europe yet. Um, I, th- I know paddle is, do you know about paddle? So I'm in a WhatsApp group about paddle, but I've yet to play it. Okay. Okay. So, so paddle is like blowing up in Europe. Pickleball is blowing up in the U S and it's pickleball is a cross between tennis and ping pong. So it's like a small tennis court with a wiffle ball, uh, and some other kind of technical rules that make it so that even if you're like 80 years old, you can play pickleball. But a lot of tennis pros are playing it now. And a lot of like celebrities brought, bought teams like LeBron James bought a pickleball team. And anyways, it's super fun. (laughs) Um, It started out for the elderly, but um, it's, it's really blowing up and we play all the time. And every time that we have pickleball in our pickle morning, me and Ryan and our other friends, we go pickle day, pickle day, pickle day. You Taylor, you got to make that. You got to make that your other, uh, your bottom multiple choice, and and uh, yeah. Why? Because you're saying it's not a sport. That's Whoa, not what I'm man. saying. That's not what I'm saying. See, I <laughs> I mention anything about pickleball, it becomes defensive. Um, <laughs> I know. I was like extreme sports. No, I, I'm 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 happy to just leave it as sports because I love playing soccer, I love playing basketball, and like I just think playing sports with friends is the most fun. There's other things that I love on your list a lot, but um, if I'm going for fun, I'm going I'm going sports. I'm just suggesting it, Taylor, because you have an opportunity, a real opportunity right now to really oh, to like really introduce- preach. 
preach the, the to make the everybody be like, what the fuck is pickleball yeah, that he yeah. interviews? You, who's like never heard of it? Oh yeah, you, you could you could reverberate <laughs> into the, all the other interviews that ever get done with Sam. You know, this, this is the opportunity you have. I'm just saying it's there if you want it. I it's just a good band member it, giving notes. I no, I know. I like it. It's just I care about Sam too much and everybody's time. He's pretending to care about me, but he cares he cares he really cares about the internal logic. That's what he cares about. <laughs> he cares about the it's game. It's against the internal logic <laughs> of this game. It doesn't make sense. Totally. I always whenever like often we'll be talking about a song and arguing about what to do. <laughs> And it's hilarious because it's music, which is subjective. And, and like, but if we're disagreeing, I'll often make an argument to Kelsey about an internal logic that the song demands. And I'll really do that. And you'll, you'll like, listen to me. And I feel like you'll be like, this means nothing to me because there is no, <laughs> there's no logic it, it, in music. It's a really silly, it's a really silly job we, we have. And we're always writing these parts and we're always like arguing for why. Oh no, but this line because of this thing and this thing and like, and like, what's the nicest way to say, I don't care. Uh, what's the nicest way to be like, this doesn't, this doesn't mean anything to me. I heard something I, I don't really like and like it's hard. But we we know how to we know how to be cool. We're we you know, we've done this a long time. And uh uh we that's the thing with local names, we just keep now we're just like, all right, that's fine. And we just keep writing stuff because it eventually always feels better to write something that everyone likes instead of arguing for a part that nobody likes. That sucks. <laughs> but but sometimes sometimes we'll we'll fight and usually we're always like okay. All right. You're right. That's fine. Well, that's that's always at the end. It's like do we do it's just always something like do we do the instrumental after this chorus? Do we double it in length? Like do we need this lead line right here? You know, it's always like the final 10% of a song. Little tweaks. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's so hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, Kels, uh, what's what's your answer? Uh, I, 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 I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do. What's the what's so? I is where the new multiple or the new other option is. That's correct. Yes. Um. So I will say. I. Making jokes is my favorite okay fun thing making to do jokes. about in my life is just like making jokes and laughing with your friends um the band usually can get very upset with me because they'll be talking about something serious and then i will say something really stupid and a lot of times it makes people laugh sometimes it's like they get really frustrated. <laughs> Sometimes I wish Kelsey had an editor that worked with him on his jokes that he could use before just like lit, like, Hey, we're in, we're in a meeting about, um, you know, with our record label, it's just not the time to be testing out new material. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, we're, we're, we're arguing about the set list for the thousandth time. <laughs> 
okay, okay, maybe that's an okay time to be doing it, actually. Can you, uh, have you ever done uh, stand-up? Yeah, I have. I have. I, ma- I, made a, I made a comedy fiction podcast over the pandemic that was really fun to make, where I was like six characters doing different voices. And then I, I co-hosted with a comedian a night in L.A. called Human Soup, where it was like co- comedians and, and musicians doing um, songs. It was like, kind of like a variety show, but I am, I'm very, very into comedy, very interested in... Um, in making people laugh. What, is this widely known about about you that you made a comedy podcast? I think it's I think it's there. I think it's there if you if you want to go in deep with with the K man. Um, but uh, if you want to stay surface level, um, it's <laughs> it's called the Kelsier TV show on radio. Uh, Mel, actually, my wife was helping me with it and we were, we were just like laughing, reminiscing about it, that it was just like completely insane. It's pretty insane. Um, but no, I, I, that is, I, I making jokes, dicking around, whatever you want to, uh, put as the official wording of that option. Oh, the word, the word for it is comedy. Comedy. I'll just put the name of your podcast as the. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh no! Wait, see, this is my opportunity to get this out there to, for the rest of your musicians to. If uh, you're gonna, to if you're listen. gonna allow the name of his podcast as an option, then pickleball definitely gets to be an option. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sam, this is in your hands. You know, this is your call. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like, I like thinking about about your favorite thing outside of music. That's, that's nice. We all have our favorite things. I almost picked movies. I love, love movies um, so much. Uh, but. Kelsey has a crazy talent where we joke that like, we're like, what was that movie from like 89, this classic blah, blah, blah. And then he'll be like, oh yeah. And then he'll name every minor actor on it. And then like, <laughs> we'll be like, who was like, the, he'll know like the name of the key grip on Interstellar, you know, or like whatever. He has like the weirdest mind for um, for that stuff. So yeah, your your love for movies is is very deep. Sounds like a Can't great mind. That. Sounds like a brilliant mind. Sounds like a beautiful mind. Starring well, but Russell that's Crow. what's so interesting about it is because it's very incongruous with the rest of your mind. <laughs> Kelsey's local native's resident sad boy comic and beautiful mind. Oh yeah! Oh, that's apt. <laughs> that's a great. Yeah. That's a great intro, and Taylor. You should play that. Um, you should have the recording of that and play that when you walk out for your for your stand up. Oh, Kelsey. perfect, perfect. <laughs> your bio. Yeah. Please don't sue. I'm gonna use this. I'm gonna use a soundbite. That's cool. Thanks so much for speaking to me, guys. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Nice, Sam. Yeah, thanks. It was awesome talking to you. Yeah, thank you. That was me speaking with Taylor and Kelsey from Local Natives. You've been listening to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Walsh, with music from Greg Dixon. Thanks to anyone who listened. <laughs>